Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin wassalatu wassalamu ala asyrafil anbiya'i wal mursalin nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in amma ba'd. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Allahumma anfa'na bima 'allamtana wa 'allimna ma yanfa'una wa arzuqna 'ilman tanfa'una bih. Amin ya rabbal alamin. Kitabus shalah wa babul mawaqit. Let's back to the book of Bulughul Maram. Um and we have Completed Tahara, Nikah, Fasting, and Hajj. Right, so we've been jumping around for reasons, right? Um, and now we're coming back to the original sequence with Artib or order of the book. Book starts with Tahara and it moves on to Salah. Right, most books of Fiqh you will find firstly you got Tahara and secondly you got uh, Salah. For what reason? Because Salah is the most important. Salah is the most important thing in the life of the Muslim after his belief, after the shahada. The second most important pillar in Islam is iqam salah, that we establish our salah. But of course, ta'ara before that because it's a condition for salah. And a person is not pure, is not clean, he will not be able to fulfill salah. So this is of course the, the reasoning behind this order that the ulama use, rahimahumullah. So, Kitab salah the book of Salah, right? We know what Salah is. It's a well-known act of worship. Starts with a takbir, it ends with a taslim. And there is no doubt that it is the best and the most important of all the arkan of Islam. The five arkan of Islam, Salah is the best and the most important after our shahada of La ilaha illallah wa anna muhammadar rasulullah, Right? Uh, it is the most important action that we do. In terms of our actions, our deeds, a'mal badan, right, that we physically have to fulfill, then salah is the best and the most important of all of these actions. And it's the most beloved to, to Allah Azza wa Jal. It is the most beloved of deeds to who? To our Lord Allah Azza wa Jal. In fact, salah was not just made obligatory upon us. Rather, we find it was made obligatory upon the nations before us. The prophets before us also used to make salah. And there are many ayat that speaks about the salah of the, of the anbiya of the past. There are many ayat that speaks about the salah of the anbiya of the past. Understand? In fact, for example, Allah says, Ya Maryam muqnuti li rabbiki wasjudi warka'i ma'ar raki'in. Oh Maryam. Right? Allah addresses Mary, Maryam. Uqnuti li rabbik. Obediently devote yourself to your Lord. Wasjudi. Make sujood. Warka'i ma'ar raki'in. And make ruku with those who make ruku. What is this action that, that she was doing? Salah. Ruku and sujood. Allah is referring to her, her prayer. So it's clear that she made salah. Um, <clears throat> and so forth. For example, فَلَوْلَا أَنَّهُ كَانَ مِنَ الْمُسَبِّحِينَ لَلَبِثَ فِي بَطْنِهِ إِلَى يَوْمِ يُبَعَثُونَ Allah speaks about Nabi Yunus alayhi salam. That Allah says, had he not been of those who glorify Allah مِنَ الْمُسَبِّحِينَ The word used is musabbihin. Then he would have remained in the belly of that whale until the day of Qiyamah. So because he was of the musabbihin, Allah saved him. Because he was of the Musabbihin, Allah saved him. 
The tafsir of this ayah, Ibn Abbas and other ulama of tafsir say that minal musabbihin actually means minal musallin. Had he not been of those who make salah. He was a person who prayed and he made salah. And this is why Allah saved him. Had he not been of those who prayed, Allah says he would have remained in that fish until Qiyamah. We should never have spat him out, never have been saved. Allah musta'an. So like this, there are many other examples um, of the previous Anbiya and how they were people who made salah. They were people who prayed to Allah Azza wa Jal. Um, <coughs> naam. Sheikh ibn Uthaymi rahimahullah, he says that so salah was made oblig- obligatory upon every ummah. Every ummah that came, there were people, they, they had to make salah as well. In fact, he says, there is no way that our hearts can become rectified except that we pray salah. Our hearts will never be rectified unless we, we make salah. Because Allah says in the Quran, إِنَّ الصَّلَاةَ تَنْهَا عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ Allah says, verily the salah, تَنْهَا عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ It keeps you away from fahsha and munkar. It keeps you away from immorality. Fahsha, those things which are immoral, dirty deeds, and munkar, all that which is bad, all that which is wrong, all that which is haram. Your salah keeps you away from that. That in, in itself already requires reflection, it requires you know, us to ponder over this ayah and to ponder over the state of our salah. Because if we are making salah and it's not having this effect on us, then what does that mean? It means our salah is not proper. There's something missing, there's something wrong with our salah. Understand this point? But if our salah was done in the best manner and it's done properly and sincerely with tuma'nina, with khushu' then we will find the salah will have this effect in our lives where it keeps us away from sin. It keeps us away from fahsha. But nowadays we make salah and then we go straight into sin. Sometimes we structure our day where we make salah, but there is sins between each salah. We, we're planning to commit the sin immediately after we make salah. So the question is, what's the status of our salah? This is a question that each and every person needs to ask himself. Um, then Ibn Uthaymi, rahimahullah, he goes into some of the benefits and the virtues of salah. Oh, why salah is so great? Why the status of salah is so huge? The first point he mentions is that Allah Azza wa Jal, he made this an obligation upon the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bidun wasitah, without any link, without any intermediary. Huh? And he says, we know of no other action. We know of no other deed that was made obligatory without a intermediary. Do we understand what's meant by this? Who's the intermediary? Other than Allah. Not with shirk, no. Salah was made obligatory without a wasitah, without any link between the Prophet and Allah. Understand? But, but, every other act of worship, there was something between Allah and the Prophet There was a link. There was an intermediary. What was the intermediary? 
Who was the intermediary? Jibreel alayhi salam. Every act of wahi, every message was sent to Jibreel and then to Rasulullah. He was a link, he's the intermediary, he's the middleman. But when it came to Salah, he went up into the heavens, he went through all of the heavens, came to the Sidratul Muntaha, Jibreel said, I can't go any further. You have to go. And he went beyond this level. And he spoke directly with Allah. And this is where Allah gave him Salah. There was no intermediary. And this is the only action, the only deed that we have that has this status. That there is no intermediary between Allah and the Messenger. Okay? And this shows this must be something great about Salah if this was the state uh, that, that, that it was obligated. <coughs> um, also, Ibn Uthaymi says, Allah made it an obligation in the highest possible place. He took the Prophet right up through the heavens. Right? And this is where he gave him the Salah. Right? Uh, basically, in the seventh heaven or just above the seventh heaven. And it was also made obligatory during the best of nights. During the, the best of nights, the night of Mi'raj. The night of Mi'raj, it was during this night and in the best of places that this happened, the salah was given um, to this ummah. Fourthly, he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made this obligation of salah for how many times a day? 50 times a day, right? What does this prove? If Allah wanted us to make salah 50 times a day, what does this prove? This proves that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala desires for us to be in a state of salah for as long as possible. And therefore this must prove that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is an act that He loves. He would not give us an action to do, except that He loves that action. So the fact that He gave us salah 50 times a day, this is what He wants for us because this is how much He loves the action of salah. This is how much he loves the action of salah because he wants us to be in salah throughout the day. But, you know, uh, because it be, was going to be difficult, we know the discussion that happened between the Prophet and Musa and he was sent back, asked Allah for less, he went back to Musa, he said the people won't go, go back and ask Allah for less and eventually it came to five salahs. Eventually it came down to five salahs. But yet out of the mercy and the fadl and the grace, and the generosity of Allah Azza wa Jal, that five salahs is equal to 50 salahs. Right? The hadith in Bukhari says, Hiya khamsun wa hiya khamsun. It, it's five, but it's also 50. It is five, but it is 50. Meaning it's five salahs, but its reward is that of 50 salahs. This is the, the grace and the mercy of Allah Azza wa Jal. But it, this, this point here proves that Allah loves this action so much. That he would, that he desired for us to, to be making salah 50 times a day. Because if you make salah 50 times a day, it means the whole day you're going to be in a state of, of salah. Um, the fifth point that the Sheikh makes is that there is no deed from the deeds of Islam. Deeds, right? There is no action from the actions of Islam. That if you were to leave that action completely, it would amount and it would be equal to kufr. Except for salah. Understand this point? Um, <coughs> Abdullah ibn Shaqiq rahimullah, he said that the Sahaba of the Prophet they did not view any action or the leaving of any action to be kufr except for salah understand this so a person doesn't make hajj purposely doesn't fast Ramadan he doesn't pay zakah he doesn't 
He leaves off many things. The Sahaba never viewed it to be kufr, except when he left off, when they left off salah, except when they gave up salah. This they viewed to be kufr. Right, and we're going to get back to that point over there. The sixth point the Sheikh says is it was made an obligation for every single day, for every single day. So apart from tawheed and our belief, right, the rest of the obligations are not necessarily daily obligations. If we look at them, fasting is a, a yearly obligation, hajj is once in your life, zakah is also a yearly obligation. But salah, obligation five times every single day. There's not one day that you are allowed to miss, unless you have a valid excuse, woman menstruating for example. But otherwise, every single day, there's no breaks. You're not allowed to take a break. Right? Because it's not actually something that we need a break from. We actually need more salah than, than uh, us needing to take a break from that. Another point the Sheikh makes is that salah is so important that the Sharia doesn't allow us to leave off salah. Right? It's every day, as I said, we are not allowed to leave it off. Even if some of the shurut of salah cannot be fulfilled. Even if some of the shurut of salah cannot be fulfilled, we still have to make salah. For example, we're in a place we can't find the direction of the qibla. Does that mean we don't pray? You find, you make your way until you, uh, yani you do your own ishtihad, and until what you believe is the closest to the qibla, you follow that and you make salah. Even if you are facing the complete wrong direction, it's okay. Understand? If there's no water, do we not make salah? You make tayammum and you make salah, there must be dust. You make salah, there is no excuse. There is no, there is nothing that takes away the obligation of, of salah or lifts the obligation of, of salah. Understand? A traveler, does it mean you don't make salah? Allah gives you a rukhsah. Allah gives you a rukhsah, a concession. Okay, you're busy, your time is short, make jama'ah. Instead of making five, make three. The same with a, uh, for example, someone who's extremely sick, or when it's raining, or there are different uh, times, but generally this applies to the, to the traveler. Sorry, I would say he's allowed to um, shorten. He's allowed to shorten. Instead of four, make two. Yes. Getting this right. Allah alam. Uh, I'm a bit confused on this issue. Um, well, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, I'm unsure right now, so I don't want to pass a, to say what it is. But, um, I'm trying to think. Allah alam. I'm not going to say. Um, the next point that the Sheikh makes is. That there is no other act of worship where we are supposed to gather together and make this worship together except with salah. This is another subtle point that he brings, right? If we look at Hajj, Hajj, we come, we come together for Hajj. Everybody's an Arafah, right? But are you worshipping Allah together? No, you're all on your own. We're all together on the same place, but each one is on his on his own. But when the time of salah comes, we're together. You have to combine into jama'ah. Understand? Even in the haram of Makkah, 
We can have two million people in that haram, for example. Each one is doing his own thing. Some making tawaf, some making nafil salah, some reading Quran, some making dhikr, some sitting there, reflecting. Different things happening. The moment the Imam says Allahu Akbar, the whole two million have to stop what they're doing and they come together and they make salah together. This is only found in this worship, this act of worship, the worship of um, salah. Tayyib, as for the person who, the tariku salah, right? Ibn Uthaymi now starts to speak about the tariku salah, the one who, who leaves off salah, the one who does not pray, right? So as we said, the Sahaba viewed the one who does not pray to be a, to be a disbeliever. The Sahaba viewed the one who does not pray to be a disbeliever, right? Who, who does this apply to? Does this apply to the person who says salah is not fard? Is this what we mean by tariku salah? No. A person who says it's not fard is, is kafir automatically. It is going against the Quran and Sunnah and the ijma' of the, of the ummah, the consensus of the ummah. Right? But if we look at the hadith, the hadith says, Al-ahadu alladhi baynana wa baynahum as-salah. The covenant between us and between them is the salah. فَمَنْ تَرَكَهَا فَقَدْ كَفَرَ So whoever does not make salah, he has disbelieved. That's a hadith. Right? In Muslim from Ahmad, in At-Tirmidhi, and other places. The one who does not make salah, he has disbelieved. That's what the hadith says. In another hadith, it says بَيْنَ الرَّجُلُ وَبَيْنَ الشِّرْكِ وَالْكُفْرِ تَرْكُ الصَّلَاةِ Between a man and between shirk and disbelief is the leaving of a salah. So between a person, between a man and between shirk and disbelief is the leaving off of salah. This hadith is in Sahih Muslim. So with these two ahadith, what the Sahaba viewed, this is why many scholars concluded and said that the tariku salah, the one who does not make salah, there is no doubt about his, his disbelief, that he has actually disbelieved in the deen of Allah. Even if he believes that salah is fard. Even if he, he believes salah is fard, is wajib. But he does not make salah. In this case, the ulama said that this person is a, a disbeliever. Right? But what does that also mean? There is also consequences to this. If somebody is ruled to be a kafir, and let's say in this instance, that he does not make salah, is there any consequences to that? Yeah. Okay, what else? If you say it's a murtad, then the ruling is he should be executed. What else can you think of? Okay, you da'wah, you speak him, advise him. That's definitely in its place. What else? Right, so if he's a male person, the first point is he's not allowed to get married to a, a Muslimah. He's not allowed to marry a, a Muslimah. And this Ibn Hayyim is a serious issue. Because we got people that's in the Ummah, in the community, their name is Muhammad and Abdullah and... Right? They come and they want to... But they don't make salah. When they get married, who do they get married to? Muslim women. Right? Muslimat. So when they propose, he says it's wajib that you ask the person, do you make salah? Understand? Do you make salah? If he says no... 
you automatically say then you cannot marry my daughter you cannot marry into this family until you go and you rectify your affairs and you start with your salawat right if the act of nikah was already done they got married right and you discover this person never prays what then the marriage is nullified the marriage is nullified that act is in batil is nullified because he's not allowed to marry her he's not allowed to um, to marry her what about they get married and after they marry he leaves he stops making salah he then stops making salah so two three years later right they've been married for two years muslim marrying a muslim no problem two years later he just gives up salah then that's so important to him anymore in that case again that that nikah that act becomes well it's, it's a fasakh it's like a fasakh understand because that person has become a murtad that person has become a murtad um, so in that case they must be they must be split up they have to be um, split up that if he makes tawbah in the time of the idda he can then take her back if the idda period goes up and he did not make tawbah that nikah is then over and if he then makes tawbah he has to have a new contract thrown up of nikah right another consequence of tariq salah is if somebody passes away from his family he will not inherit from that person he will not inherit from that person so this person does not make salah his father is a muslim his father passes away leaves behind 10 million rand he will not inherit one cent of that because he is deemed to be a disbeliever and rasulullah sallallahu said La that the kafir cannot inherit from a from a muslim a disbeliever cannot inherit from a from a muslim and likewise a muslim cannot inherit from a, from a kafir this is hadith so again it has major consequences as we can see right another consequence number four he says is if this person passes away his family his friends those who are with him they are not allowed to give him a ghusl they're not allowed to kafan his body they are not allowed to make salat janazah for him nor can he be buried in the maqbara of the muslims was not a muslim you understand so this is something that's taken for granted now there are many people that are Muslim, but they don't make salah. They don't make any salah. Understand? This is the ruling that's supposed to be enacted upon them. So what, what's supposed to happen to them when he dies? Right? No salat or janazah. What happens is, you take him to a different maqbara or somewhere outside. You dig a hole for him and you put him in with his clothing on and that's it. There's no ghusl, there's no kafan, there's no nothing for him. You bury him as is. And that's it. Why? He is a disbeliever in, in Allah Azza wa Jal. Right? There's no dua will benefit him. And you're not allowed to make dua for him. You're not allowed to say Rahimallah. You're not allowed to say Allah forgive him and have mercy on him. Because he's deemed to be a, a disbeliever. Point number five the Sheikh makes is even his sacrifices, his dhabiha, or aqiqah, or on his udhiyah, on Eid al Adha, for example, if he feels he's going to make slaughter animal that meat is haram even if he said bismillah 
that meat is what? It's considered as haram, even if he said Bismillah, because he's a non-Muslim. Is he Ahlul Kitab? He's not Ahlul Kitab. So Ibn Uthaymin says, take note of this. If a Jewish man or a Christian man, he took the name of Allah and he slaughtered an animal, that animal is halal to consume. But if that brother did it, and he says, Bismillah, his meat is haram to consume. This is how serious the issue is. On the day of Qiyamah, on the day of Qiyamah, this person will be raised with, with who? Anybody know the hadith? Hadith says, whoever does not preserve his salah, he will be raised on the day of Qiyamah with Fir'aun and Haman and Qarun and Ubay ibn Khalaf. Four of the worst people who walk this dunya. This person will be raised with them. Because the hadith specifically speaks about salah. Hadith says, whoever looks after preserves his salah. His salah will be a nur. It will be a proof. And it will be a savior for him on the day of Qiyamah. But whoever does not look after his salah, it will be no nur for him, no savior for him. And it will not be a proof and evidence for him. And it's an evidence of your iman. And he will be raised with Qarun and Fir'aun and Haman and Ubay ibn Khalaf. These are four of the worst of people that the hadith says the person who does not pray, look after his salah, he will be raised with him on the day of Qiyamah. So Ibn Uthaymi rahimahullah, he says this person will be kept away from his family, his kids, his mother, his father, even if he lived close to them in the dunya. He lived in their home, he loved them, he served them, right? But on the, in the dunya, the, sorry, in the akhirah, he will not be with them. He will not be in their presence because he disbelieved by not making salah. Allah Azza wa Jal says in Surah At-Tur, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَاتَّبَعَتْهُمْ ذُرِّيَّتُهُمْ بِإِيمَانٍ أَلْحَقْنَا بِهِمْ ذُرِّيَّتَهُمْ وَمَا أَلَتْنَاهُمْ مِنْ عَمَلِهِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ Beautiful ayah. Allah says, as for those who have iman, those who believe, وَاتَّبَعَتْهُمْ ذُرِّيَّتُهُمْ بِإِيمَانٍ And the offspring, they follow them in that iman. So Allah speaks about the mu'mineen, the believers, that believe, they have iman, and the offspring follows them in that iman. Understand? They raise them upon iman, and they also follow, also believers. Allah says, أَلْحَقْنَا بِهِمْ ذُرِّيَّتَهُمْ we will join them with their offspring. Meaning in the akhirah, Allah will bring you back together. Because that father raised that son upon iman, Allah will raise you together in the akhirah. أَلْحَقْنَا بِهِمْ ذُرِّيَّتَهُمْ وَمَا أَلَتْنَاهُمْ مِنْ عَمَلِهِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ Allah says, we will not deprive them of any of their good deeds. Nothing will be deprived. Good you did, you see it. But the tariq salah, any kafir, a murtad, he will not have this honor of being joined with his family in, in the Akhirah. Right? This is only for the true believers uh, in Jannah, bi-idhnillah ta'ala. Allah maja'alna minhum. May Allah make us of them. Um, so Ibn Uthaymi says, Al-Muhim, what's important is al-mas'ala khatira jiddan. This mas'ala, this issue, is extremely severe and serious. As we can see, to give up salah is not a, by the way, thing. It's not a small thing. It's a major, major, major thing. Right? If a husband notices his wife giving up salah, that is grounds for divorce. If a wife sees in a husband, 
that's grounds for her to apply for a fasakh or to give him a khula. Understand? If a person proposes to you and he does not make salah, you turn as far away from him as possible. Because if he does not make salah, guaranteed it doesn't just stop there. Guaranteed it doesn't just stop there. And this is why the hadith says that the first thing the slave will be asked about on the day of Qiyamah will be about his salah. And the Prophet said, if that salah that is asked about was good, then you will find all of his other deeds will be good. But if his salah was no good, you will find all of his other deeds were no good. Look at the status given to salah. Look at the importance that the hadith gives to salah. If, if a person looks after his salah, he's praising the masjid, you know, he's, you will generally find that everything else in his life is generally good. But he's never in the masjid, he never makes salah. You will find there are major issues here. He falls short, he's busy with bad business, he's busy with this, he's busy with that. Allah Musta'an. Ibn Uthaymin then says that it's a serious issue. And therefore we have to pay great attention to our salah. And we have to advise those who do not pray to pray. We have to advise them to pray. And then he says from the amazing and strange things that we see today is that you find a person, he fasts the days of Ramadan. And he goes, he fasts the entire day of Ramadan. Every month, every year, he fasts the whole month. Wakes up for suhoor, fasts the whole day, and he breaks his fast. But yet we find he does not make salah. And this happens with people. They neglect the salah the whole day. Even when they are fasting. Even when they are fasting. He says, Ramadan's fast is which pillar? It's the fourth pillar of Islam. Right? It's the fourth pillar of Islam. You didn't even fulfill the second pillar of Islam. In fact, as we said, that second pillar, if it's not fulfilled, it can take you out the fold. If you're out the fold, what benefit is there in your, for you in your salah? Is there any benefit? It's not accepted. Your salah is rejected. You started your fasting. If, that, if you are taken out of the fold, is there any benefit in your soul in your fasting? It's not accepted. It's rejected. As Allah said, وَمَا مَنَعَهُمْ أَن تُقْبَلَ مِنْهُمْ نَفَقَاتُهُمْ there is nothing that stops them from having the sadaqat and nafaqah. To having it rejected or having it being accepted. There's nothing that stops it from being accepted except Allah Except that they disbelieve in Allah and the Messenger. And they did not come for salah except that they were lazy. And they did not spend except that they disliked it. So Allah says in this ayah, the only reason that the ibadah is not accepted is because of disbelief. The disbelief cuts off your, your a'mal. There is no reward after, after disbelief. <coughs> As for some people who say that the Prophet said that Allah will tell the Prophet, take out from the fire any person who has within his heart an atom's weight of iman. A small amount of iman, if he has it, take him out of the fire. So what about those who don't make salah? And they, uh, uh, do how? Some people use this hadith and say, you see, they will also be saved. Because they will be taken out of the fire because of iman. What do we say to this? 
We say that that's not Iman. We say that's not true Iman that he has. Because the Prophet said between a man, between Kufr and Shirk is the, the leaving, the abandoning of Salah. Between a, a man and between Kufr and Shirk is the abandoning of Salah. That's a hadith. So how can we say that this person has Iman if the Prophet said it's Kufr? Do you understand? So we say in his heart there is no Iman. If he had Iman, he would fulfill this great ibadah. If he truly had Iman, how can he neglect Salah? The Prophet said, Salah, Umurul Deen. It's the main pillar of the Deen. <coughs> he said, it's the Umurul Islam. It's the pillar of Islam. How is it possible if you say he has Iman in his heart, but he has completely abandoned Salah? Is this possible? Where is this person's Iman? You understand? Some people also, I mean, other excuses people make, I don't make Salah, but my Iman is in my heart. You know, I don't wear the hijab, but my Iman is in the heart. If your Iman was truly there, like you claim, it would be seen in your actions. Because as Ahlul Sunnah, what do we believe? Iman is in the heart, yes. But it's also in our, in our speech, and it's also in our actions. That's Iman. Iman's in the heart, definitely it's found, that's the, the nucleus is there. But it's also found in our speech, and it's also found in our deeds, in our actions, our physical deeds. In the heart alone is not sufficient. That's not true Iman. That's a claim that they are making, but that's not true Iman. Tayyib, um, important point to mention, very important. What do we mean by Tariq salah The one who abandons Salah. What do we mean by that? What do you understand when I say a person who gives up Salah, he neglects, he does not pray, or he abandons Salah? What do you mean when I say that? In totality. In totality. So does that mean some people make Maghrib every day, but they only make Maghrib. Some people only make Jumu'ah. Understand? Some people only make now, now, and then they make a Maghrib here and there, but everything else they don't make. Is he considered Tariqus Salah? Or not? This is the issue. Right? It's difference of opinion. Some would say, perhaps some would say no. Ibn Taymin views this to be a person who leaves your salah in totality, as you said. Completely abandons. There's no salah in his life. You understand? So we're not speaking about the person who's lazy. We're not speaking about the person who he misses here and there. We only make some salah. Right? He's a major, major sinner. Because every salah you miss is a major sin. That person is a major sinner. But he still makes salah. Understand? So we do not say he is tariqus salah. He's a major sinner, but he's not a disbeliever. You understand me? They, he's got a little bit of iman. He's got a little bit of iman because he still prays. The one that we say is a kafir is the one who does not make salah at all. Mutlaqan. No salah at all. Right? Yeah. 
Mm. I get to know those people. But he lived a fierce life. Again, I mean, they are definitely believers. Um, and it just means that they are making salahs, they fulfill the wajib. But the status of the salah is not very great. Right? If we, inshallah, we're going to get through how the Prophet made salah. You know, how long he took the time that he spent in sujood and ruku' And the standing coming up from ruku' He stood for long periods of time. You understand? And of course the recitation and the khushu' and the humility and the focus and the understanding All of this is part of the salah It's part of the aspects of the salah that we are supposed to be trying to fulfill to the best of our ability But somebody who makes salah just to get it over Then yes we would say that there's something lacking in his salah That's a sign of weak iman Sign of weak iman But it's obviously this does not mean kufr or tariqus salah or anything It just means it's a sign of weak salah Oh, sorry, weak iman. It's a sign of weak iman. Um, <clears throat> how do we deal with a person who's tariqus salah? A person who completely abandons, no, no desire to pray. Right? He says he's a Muslim, or she says, look, I'm a Muslim. Huh? I, I was brought up Muslim, but I just don't feel like praying. You know, it's just, maybe one day, or... They advise to pray, they just don't pray. You understand? And there are people like this. Maybe sometimes we don't know, because maybe we live in a little bubble. We don't know what's happening out there. But it's definitely happening. And I'm, I know this for a fact, because I actually dealt with a case like this once. A marriage, marriage issue. And the husband told me, look, my wife doesn't make salah, she doesn't uh, fast, she doesn't do anything. You know? So this was a confession from him and he said he advised them many times for hijab and this but she had no interest interest in anything you understand and so forth so there are people like this that are out there there are definitely people that are living like this and when i was on campus i had people that used to fast but don't make salah exactly what ibn Uthaymah is speaking about here i used to see this on campus so you see it out there the more you are out there uh, the more you see it not that it's a good thing to be out there either you rather prefer to be sheltered and live in a good space around good people, around good influences, around people that's upon the haq, than be out there and exposed to those type of influences and misguidances. But it is happening out there. So how do we deal with a person who is tariq salah? Right? Firstly, you should not spend time with this person. You should not sit with him. You should not even live with him, the sheikh says. If it's possible, if you own the house, you should put them out of the house. If it's their house, you should leave their house. Right? Unless he says you want to be around them, to give them da'wah, to speak to them, to advise them. If this, if this is the case, then fine. You spend time with them and you try and get through to them and you try and get through to him. That's, that's one thing. But just to be friends, to hang out, you know, this is, should not be done. This should not be done because... As we saw the consequences that this person, you know, that the rulings of the Sharia upon him are extremely harsh. So to be friends and to hang out with people like this is definitely not uh, recommended. Right? Hadith is, Al-Mar'u ala dini khalilihi. A person is upon the religion of his friend. That's a powerful hadith. A person is upon the, the deen, the religion of his friend. 
So choose your فَلْيَنْظُرْ مَنْ يُخَالِرُ So the hadith says, so look at the one you take as a friend, as a close friend. Look at him very, very closely. Because in reality, the more time you spend with people, the more they have an influence on you and the more they rub off on you. Right? People sometimes have this idea, we can just hang out with wherever and I'm strong enough. There's going to come a time where they're going to have an effect on you. Where they're going to have an influence on you. That is a fact. And it's a hadith of the Prophet In fact, Ali radiallahu anhu said, if you want to judge somebody, judge him by his company. If you want to judge somebody, judge him by his, his associates, his company. So, let's say you want to get married or you want to marry somebody off to a person. Look at that person's company. Who does this person hang out with? Who's his friends? Where do you see him? He seems like a good boy, but look at his friends. You know, he seems like a decent person, but look at his friends. That, that's not a very good sign. You know, if the friends are all, you know, bad, etc. That's a bad sign because why is he with them in the first place? Understand? And so forth. And Allah knows best. Invite his friends over. Um, it's a tough one. You see, they come sit here, yeah, they're obviously going to be looking nice and all good and what, what, what. You've got to look from different way. Oh, that's just my recommendation. Allah Alam. But uh, that's, that's what Ali said. You want to judge somebody, you judge him by his company. If he's a good person, he will hang out with good people. If he's a bad person, he will hang out with bad people. And so forth. That's the general way things happen. Allah says in the Quran, "Alladina hum an salatihim sahun." Allah speaks about people who make salah, but this is obviously people that Allah did not praise. It's not people that Allah praised. Allah has described these people as those who, when they make the salah, they are sahun. What does this mean? They are neg- they are negligent. I think this is what you were basically uh, touching upon earlier. It means that um, they don't give importance to the salah. They don't give its 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 the essence. They don't give it its importance. The status that it deserves is not given to the salah. So they come with the wajib. They fulfill the wajib, right? Or they don't fulfill the wajibat, all the wajibat. But they come and they give, they pray, and they, you know, it's done. Um, so they are those who make salah. The ayah is, speaks about those who, who make salah. But they don't give the salah value and importance. So for example, they delay the salah. Or they make salah late, out of the waqt. Understand? They make salah out of the waqt. And when they pray, there's no tumma'nina. Up, down, kiss the ground, as they say, right? Up and down. There's no too much, no pausing, no tranquility, no nothing in the salah. It's just up and down. They understand? It's done. Right? And if you notice the ayah, Allah said, عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ And not fi صَلَاتِهِمْ Right? And this again is a subtle, important point here. Because Allah said they are عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ سَاهُون They are those who are neglectful of their salah. What does that mean? 
when it comes to their salah, they are neglectful. Right? But they are not those who are necessary. Allah didn't say in the salah. Inside of the salah, they are neglectful. And that's why some of the salaf, they said, Alhamdulillah, alladhi qala an wa lam yaqul fi. Some of the salaf, they said, Praise be to Allah for the one who he said, An, and he didn't say fi. Allah said, An salatim, not fi salatim. So they praised Allah for this. Why? Because there's a difference. Right? The difference is that they are those who are neglectful of the salah. They delay the salah, there's no importance given to the salah, and so forth. Allah didn't say those who are neglectful inside of the salah, meaning when they make salah, their mind wanders. They become neglectful. So what happens is your mind starts to wander. Right? And you, you get thoughts and this and that. But you, you gave importance to the salah, you went to the masjid, you prayed, etc. You understand? In this case, you are not part of this ayah. But if Allah said, Fi salatihim sahun, they are those who are neglectful inside of the salah, then who is safe from that? You understand? So many of the salah, they said, Praise be to Allah. Allah said, An salatihim and not Fi salatihim. Because if Allah said, Fi salatihim, they will all be included in this ayah. I don't know if I understand what, what, what the Sheikh is trying to say. Likewise, Allah said, وَالْكَافِرُونَ هُمُ الظَّالِمُونَ As for the disbelievers, they are ظَالِمُونَ They are transgressors. Right? Allah didn't say, and the transgressors, they are kafirun. You understand the difference here? Allah said, and the kafirun, they are transgressors. He did not say, and the transgressors, they are kafirun. Because who of us do not transgress? Who of us do not transgress against our nafs, against our soul? <coughs> if Allah said that, none of us is safe from dhulm and kufr. But because Allah said it's the kafir, they are the true dhalimun. We are also dhalimun, but not the level of the kufar. So like this, the ulama would see small things in the Quran, the, the way the, the wording is, you know, it all has an effect, it all has a powerful meaning to it, Allah musta'an. That's basically the Sheikh's introduction to salah, talking about the importance of salah. Right? He now moves on and he says, Babul Mawaqeet. The first chapter in the book of Salah is the chapter of Mawaqeet. Right? Babul Mawaqeet. Mawaqeet, this word is the plural of the word Miqat. Right? We're not talking about Miqat of Hajj and Umrah. Miqat comes from the word Waqt. Waqt. You know what Waqt means? Time. Miqat in Arabic comes from the word Waqt. Right? Which is of course referring to time. So we are speaking about the, the times of salah. Firstly, this is the chapter that we are busy with. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has of course given each salah its stipulated times. Three times a day for the one who is permissible to do jam, like the musafir. And five times a day for the one who is not permitted for him to do jam. Right? For the resident. Three times a day for the musafir, and those who take the similar ruling as the musafir, and five times a day for who? For those who are resident and those who do not are not allowed the rukhsa. Right? Uh, and a good point the Sheikh mentions here is he says three times a day, right? Because the two of the salah, of course, are combined. Asr, Maghrib, and Isha, they are combined, right? 
So what does this mean? This means any three times during the day they have to make salah within those time periods. So which means between Zohar and Asr, any time between that or in that waqt, you can make Zohar and Asr. It doesn't have to be like some people say, if you're going to combine, if you're going to combine then, you must either bring Asr forward to Zohar or delay Zohar to, to Asr. For? Yeah, you need to make the niya, of course, if you're going to delay. Because you're not just missing the salah. Your niya means, I'm going to pray the word later. That's my niya. But you must make it before the word. Not at the time of the word. Look, if you're a musafir, it's permitted for you to delay. So when you get to the word, you can maybe decide and see, look, let's see how things go. You know, and once we get to the word, we can delay. But this is the whole point. Right? This is the whole point. Ibn Uthaymin is saying, from the time is, let's say the word starts at 1. Right? The word is at 1. Asr ends at Maghrib, which is at 7, for example. So he is saying from 1 to 7, you can make the word and Asr together anytime. You get what this means? So if you decide, look, we're going to make the word and Asr together, anytime in that time slot, you can make it. It doesn't necessarily have to be on the word time you make the two together or at Asr time you make the two together. It can be any time between. It can be at 3 o'clock, okay, let's, let's make Salah, it's a good time, we'll make Salah. Understand this point? Oh, so it's any time. It's any time within that time period. So, so example, you're going to do it uh, before Asr? Yeah, like five minutes before Asr, no problem. The time here is for the two Salahs together. The same with Maghrib and Nisha. But the misconception is where you have to wait for either Maghrib time to make the two together or either Isha time to make the two together. Correct. So what the Sheikh is saying is it's not like that. Right? It's not like that. You you make it any time in that in the period for, for Salah because that's the period that you're allowed to make Jama. You choose when you want to make the Jama and you make it. You don't have to choose one of the waqts because it's not about the time of Maghrib and Isha anymore. It's you are, you are obligated to make salah three times a day as a traveler. Fajr is on time. The others are, you have leeway. That's the whole point of a concession. That's the whole point of a, uh, of a concession and Allah knows best. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, إِنَّ الصَّلَاةَ كَانَتْ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ كِتَابًا Allah says that surely salah has been prescribed upon the believers in kitab and mawquta, in, in specific times, in its prescribed times, right? This is clearly mentioned in this ayah, Surah Nisa, verse number 103. Surah Nisa, verse number 103, Allah mentions that salah has been made in its prescribed times, right? Which means it's fard. Kitab has been written like this, it's fard, right? So this times of salah, it's, it's fixed. Nobody can edit them and change them. It has to be done like this in a specific time. Uh, and this is for hikmah. This is out of the hikmah of Allah. Because imagine all salah is, is done at once. You've got to make all the salahs at once. 17 raka'at in one go. Becomes extremely difficult. Number one, takes long. Number two, how do you focus? 
through all 17 in one go. It can be difficult. And thirdly, you'll make salah once in a day, and the rest of the day, that's it. You know? Whereas if you, the way Allah has made it, through different times of the day, early morning, then afternoon, then late afternoon, then sunset, then late night. So throughout the day, you have a, a link and a connection to, to Allah Azza wa to your Creator. This is hikmah, to keep us going. As we said, salah keeps us away from sin and fahsha and immorality. So if you're praying five times a day, that it's a re, it, it rejuvenates your iman. Gets you close to Allah again. Gets you reminded once again. Up until the next salah again. The next salah again. If it is in one go, you'd make the salah, but five hours later, you might become heedless again and negligent again. And You understand? So like this, Allah has, um, has his hikmah in that he made it throughout the day. Spread in its fixed time to keep us linked to him throughout the day. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the author, Rahimahullah, he starts with the chapter of Mawaqeet because Ibn Uthaymin says it's the most important of the shurut of salah. The waqt of salah is a condition of salah. Correct? You cannot make salah before the, the waqt begins. You cannot make salah before the waqt begins. So it's an important condition for the salah. Okay? In fact, some of the other conditions we may forego. Example, as I said, tahara, there's no water. Tayammum. Can't find the qibla, you find your face, whichever way you believe is the best, and you follow. But salah, the time, can you bring the time forward? Can't bring the time forward. Can you wait till salah is over? Can't wait till salah to be over. The time is extremely important. The time is extremely important. Right? So it's definitely from the, uh, the most important of the shurut. And hence he is starting with bawaqeet. What is the time? Khair, we'll take one hadith for the night. We start off the book now with the first hadith. And we continue next week, inshallah. The first hadith narrated by Abdullah ibn Amr, radiallahu anhuma, anna nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal. The Prophet said, Waqtu al-dhuhri, idha zalati al-shamsu wa kana dhillu al-rajuli katulihi ma lam yahdur waqtu al-asr. So he says, firstly, the time of dhuhr. The hadith speaks about firstly the time of Zuhr Salah. Ida zalati shams. When the sun zalat, the time of zawal, as we know it. When the time of zawal comes in, right? Zalati shams, it means that the sun is now starting to lean towards the, the west. Right? The sun is now starting to lean towards the the west. So we know the sun rises in the east and it sets in the, the west. Right? When it reaches the midpoint, it reaches the, is it called the meridian? Am I right? It reaches the middle point now, it's in the middle. So it comes up from the east and now it's coming up and as it's in the middle, that is what? Zawal. That's the time of Zawal. If you check on the calendars, you will see Zawal. They put on there. Because actually that time is not, you're not allowed to make salah in that time. Understand? So it's about 10, depending where you are, 10-15 minutes. There's a period of time there, you are not allowed to make salah. 
you gotta wait until the that period ends, then Dhuhr starts. Then you can make sunnahs and you can make other salawat, right? So Zawal is when the sun is in the is in the middle. Understand? So the hadith says Ida Zalati Shams, meaning basically it goes past Zawal. It goes past that it goes past that middle section. Right? A sign of this. How do we know when it's gone past? Shadow. Shadow. Right? Your shadow starts to elongate now. Isn't it so? Your shadow now starts to um, elongate. Right? So the hadith is وَكَانَ ظِلُّ الرَّجُلِ كَطُولِهِ Right? That the shadow of a person is like his length. He says, how tall you are. So what happens is, your shadow will become long just how, just as how tall you basically are. This is a sign of that Zawal has now come in. Right? Sorry, Zawal has ended here, sorry. Right, so once Zawal ends, that means the sun has now passed its meridian. Now you can start with your salah. Zalati Shams has passed that, that, um, that, that, what's the word, that period. Right? And this is where the shadows start to <coughs> elongate. Okay. مَا لَمْ يَحْضُرْ وَقْتُ الْعَصْرِ So this time period goes up until the time of Asr. So from after that Zawal period, it goes from that time until, until Asr. Until Asr Salah starts. Right, that is the time period for, um, for, for Dhuhr basically. Right, so there's nothing between Dhuhr and, and Asr. Dhuhr ends with Asr. Malam Tasfar Rashams. The person then spoke about, about Asr. Right, and he said about Asr, the time of Asr is Malam Tasfar Shamsu. It is that time as long as the sun has not turned, or as long as the yeah, the sun has not turned yellow. Hadith says as long as the sun has not turned yellow. Now you know if you look at the sun during the day, you won't be able to look at it. And it's usually very bright. Right? Almost like white. Okay? But what happens is as it starts to set, becomes yellowish and orange, right? The sun obviously changes. So this is the time of, of Maghrib. This happens at the time of, of Maghrib. Okay, so the waqt of Asr goes up until the waqt of, of Maghrib. Okay? So, um, you say that um, uh, when the sun is yellow in color, does it mean Asr ends at no, it goes up until Maghrib. Right up until the time of Maghrib. That's when Asr ends. Right? <coughs> right, so when it becomes yellow, then Asr stops. And that basically refers to the time of Maghrib. It refers to the time of, of Maghrib. No, it doesn't refer, refer, to, refer to that. It refers to the time of, uh, of Maghrib. Okay? There's another hadith that says, من أدرك ركعة من العصر 
qabla an taghruba ash-shams faqad adraka al-'asr and this is we as you said right it, it, uh, now i should actually explain it like this firstly so the hadith says ma lam tasfarra ash-shams as long as the sun has not become yellow right but another hadith says whoever makes one raka'a of asr before sunset he has he has acquired asr salah so what does that prove this hadith is bukhari it proves that it proves that asr is until maghrib this hadith because it says whoever makes one raka'a before the sun sets he's got his asr understand so let's say asr that se- maghrib at 7 pm at 6:59 you say allahu akbar for asr right and you made one raka'a wala dhalil qul wallahu ahad and you finish off walam yakul lahu kufuwan ahad you say allahu akbar subhana rabbil azim you say allahu alhamd that's one raka'a done and then the imam goes oh the muadhin say allahu akbar and it's what maghrib you only made one raka'a of asr so far according to this hadith you've made asr meaning you've completed the salah but you made it in its time understand so the first hadith about the yellowing of the sun right about the yellowing of the of the sun that as you said is before sunset it's, it happens before sunset right and this hadith here about the raka is until sunset Right, this is, yeah, this is after sunset, this is not until sunset. So there's a difference here in the two hadith. And that's why some ulama, they made jam of these two hadith. They combined the two hadith and they said what? That until the yellowstone of the sun, that's the best time to make, that's the, that's the real best time to make asr. As for making it after that, until the setting of the sun, that's waqdaruri. That's like delaying the salah now, but that's, you know, if, it, if it's a necessity, you can make it that time. You were extremely busy, you couldn't stop, you had an exam, you had this end, and you end up making asr five minutes before the other of maghrib. We say that's permissible, it's accepted, but you should not delay it to that point, unless there's a, a need. It happened with us on the right? When we were in Palestine, hmm. so we need to asr five minutes before maghrib. That was perfectly fine. Understand? Do you understand now the two hadith? So the first hadith mentions Asr is as long as the sun does not become yellow. Okay? So what we say is that's the that's the preferred time to make Asr. You should make Asr in that time. But the other hadith proves that Asr is still valid until Maghrib. But we say that's Waqtaruri. Meaning you should not make Asr in that time unless there's a need. Unless you couldn't help it. Unless you were on the road and uh, you could not stop and make salah on the side of the road. Or like I said, you have an exam. Or you were at the doctor or something. And you couldn't make asr in that time. Then you make it just before the sunset or after that yellowness has gone, etc. Are you with me? So we say there's two times for asr here. The preferred time and the, the time for necessity where you, you couldn't make it before that. Is that clear? Taib. وَوَقْتُ صَلَاةِ الْمَغْرِبِ مَا لَمْ يَغِبِ الشَّفَقِ Right? As for the time of Salat al-Maghrib, then it is as long as the afterglow uh, has, has, not, has basically disappeared. 
right after that basically darkness comes over and that after glow disappears right the redness that of that redness of the sky that orangeness in the sky when that disappears this is when uh maghrib comes to an end understand this ashafaq al ahmar the redness of the sky disappears after sunset you know the sky becomes red and orange and when that all disappears then maghrib has ended then maghrib has um has ended right so when the redness disappears he says that the time of maghrib has left and the time of isha has ended has begun yes has ended has begun even if there is still some light in the sky some light not talking about the redness now some light in the sky right which sometimes happens so completely dark some light right then we still say isha has begun so isha starts when immediately after maghrib there's no time between maghrib and and isha and the time of isha is ila nisf al-layl al-awsat the time of isha is until the the middle of the night is until the middle of the night that's when it's completely dark that is when it is completely uh, dark al-awsat again emphasizing the the middle of the night how do we work out the middle of the night Maghrib and Fajr. Right? Midnight is not 12 o'clock. Like we you normally say midnight is 12 o'clock. Midnight is between the night starts at Maghrib. And it ends at Fajr. So we take the two ends and you take the average between them. Meaning the middle of it. Maghrib is at 6. Fajr is at 6. What's the middle point? 12. That's easy. Of course it is not always going to be like that. But you basically work it out from there. That's how you know what, you, what, what is midnight. So if we say midnight is 11.45, your Isha needs to be done before 11.45. Understand? It needs to be done before 11.45. Uh, the time of Subh is from the time that the sun starts to appear on the horizon. Starts to appear. Not the sun has risen. That white line that you start to see, right? Uh, as long and it stays that time until sun until before sunrise starts. Until before officially sunrise uh, starts. Right? So that's the time of of Fajr. Before sunrise is in its time. Yeah, but what I mean is one minute. That means so as you make salah, sunrise comes in. Rising. No problem. So no problem. Yes. I would say try and complete the first rakah at least. Yeah, so what I mean is that and then at least you know you you you're in. You you got the wakf in. You understand? But otherwise it, it's it's you started before that time. Inshallah, the time sunrise came, you were in fajr already. You were in fajr already. Most Um, 
No, the entire time is for Dhuhr, right? Obviously the masajir are going to have a time where they allocate and say, look, this is when we are going to make jama'ah. Understand? Okay. So the people know, if you are making jama'ah, because we're going to obviously get to the ahadith and jama'ah. Jama'ah has its special virtues, and in many cases it's fard, right? So to pray in jama'ah is important. So obviously the masajir have to say, look, at one o'clock we're making Dhuhr. At Asr, the Asr is at 4, we're going to wait 15 minutes. In quarter past 4, we make a salah, for example. So that the people know which time to gather. Uh, obviously, otherwise, people's going to come 4 o'clock for Jama'ah, 5 o'clock for Jama'ah, 6 o'clock for Jama'ah. You understand? So there has to be a time where people know, look, you're going to make a Jama'ah, you're going to be there that time. It's more for, I would say, convenience sake. But any time in that period is acceptable. Right? The best time for the salah is... In the beginning of the waqt. That's the best time for salah, I would say. Because you are praying, you know, you are, it shows you are eager, you are, you know, fulfilling the salah. But if you need to wait for the jama'ah, then wait for the jama'ah, that's obviously best. And generally the jama'ah is not going to be delayed, like late. You know, jama'ah will be in its time, 10 minutes, 5 minutes later, after the adhan, they give people a chance to come to the masjid, and so forth. But uh, if they decided, look, the jama'ah is going to be an hour late, you know, then you, you wait for that. And you wait for that, insha'Allah. Um, then Ibn Uthaymin basically says that some ulama say that Isha also has two, two waqts, like Asr. The best time and the time for Taruri, like if there's a need to delay it completely. But he basically um, refutes this claim. Because um, some say it's up until Fajr, you understand? It is up until uh, Fajr. He brings a hadith that they use for this. But uh, the other hadith is very clear. It's up until the, the half of the night. It's up until the half of the, the night. And that this hadith that they bring is not clear. It's like, it's, it's a mujmal hadith, not clear what's meant. The other hadith is very clear in its, in its proof that the fajr is up until the half of the night. Um, and of course... Depending on this difference of opinion, rulings may change. So if you believe Fajr is half of the night, and a woman, they say she has a hayyut, and after midnight, she becomes pure, takes a husl, right? Does she have to make Isha? No, because the time for Isha has passed. If she becomes pure, according to the second opinion, which is up until Fajr, so in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock, she becomes pure, she takes a shower, husl, she still needs to make Isha, according to that view. Understand? So it's important to know uh, which view you follow in certain things because the rulings might differ depending on that. But we say, the clear hadith is that half of the night. Right? We stick to that and Allah knows best. Um, so of course, as we said, there are five times a day. Right? Five times the, the hadith mentions it in, in detail. Um, and all of them are connected to each other except for Except for which salah? Fajr is not connected. Not to the one before it and not to the one after. 
right? Five years on its own. It's not connected to Isha, and it's not connected to Zuhur. But Zuhur is then connected to Asr, which is connected to Maghrib, which is connected to Isha. Understand? They are all interlinked and connected except for Fajr. And there's an ayah in Surah Isra where Allah says, Aqimi salata lidulukil shamsi ila ghasaqil layli wa Qur'an al-Fajr. Allah says, and establish the salah at the decline of the, the sun from the meridian. Zawal, after zawal, establish the salah. Zuhar, right? Ila ghasaqil layl. Until the darkness of the night, which is Isha. Allah is basically telling us from that time of the world, you establish your salah right through till the darkness of the night, Isha. Meaning, it's all connected. Right? The word Asad Maghrib Isha, you keep it going. Right? And then Allah says separately, Wa Quran al Fajr. He didn't say until Fajr. It's as if he kept it Fajr apart from the other. The others as well. If you get what I'm trying to say. Wa Qur'an al-Fajr. And the Qur'an of Fajr. Because Fajr is on its own. It's not connected to the, to the others. <laughs> the recitation of Fajr. The recitation in Fajr. So some ulama will say. It means you should recite after Fajr. It means in the Salah of Fajr. You should recite long recitation in the Salah of Fajr. Uh, in the Qur'an al-Fajr. Kana mashhuda. That's what the ayah says. That the recitation in Fajr is something that's witnessed. It's witnessed by who? By many malaika. So therefore when we make Fajr, the sunnah is to recite long in Fajr. That was the longest prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. Salat al-Fajr. Understand? I'm sure even the haram, if you pray the haram, you'll find Fajrs are, uh, uh, you know, they, they lengthen the, the Fajr compared to the other salahs. And that's the sunnah of Rasulullah ﷺ. So that, that ayah also points out to this point that the four are connected and Fajr is on its own. It's something uh, that's not connected and Allah knows best. Right? Of course, now things have become easy. We don't look at the sun and we don't have to work out, uh, you know, with shade and all of those things. Alhamdulillah, the times have been calculated accordingly. Because they can obviously calculate the, the movement of the sun itself and so forth. And that's something good. Right? Ibn Taymi says they are fairly accurate. Except for Fajr, he says usually the calendars are five, three, four, five minutes early. Usually they are a little bit early and Allah knows best. Right? To end of the hadith, we go through some of the benefits. I'll run through them quickly. The first benefit of the hadith Ibn Uthaymi rahimullah says is that any person who prays his salah before the time, his salahs are accepted. Right? It does not count as a fard. And... Um, if he knew that it was before the time, if he purposely prays before the time, Sarah's batil, completely no reward, no nothing, right? But if he did not know, and he prayed before the time, then that that fault becomes a sunnah for him. The fault that he prayed becomes a sunnah for him, but he will have to repeat the the fault salah. Secondly, he says, anybody who prays after the time has ended. You purposefully pray after the time has ended, then you are firstly a, a sinner, a major sinner. The major sin requires tawbah. And secondly, do you make qada or not? This is where the ulama have differed. Right? This is where the ulama have. Some ulama say the Shafi'i say 
you must make qada. If you didn't make salah for 50 years, you must make all that salah up. Every day you must make 10 asrs, 10 dhurs, 10 maghribs, 10 ishas, and so forth, for example. Right? Other scholars have said, there's no qada for you. Because you purposefully missed it, it's gone. You lost that reward, you lost it, you cannot get it back. And they also said that there's no proof to say that you can make qada. Huh? There's no evidence in the Quran and Sunnah that says that you are allowed to make qada. Because you purposefully missed it. If you missed it for a reason, like you overslept, genuinely overslept, or you forgot, sometimes it's, it slips your mind, you, you forgot to make salah, it can happen. Right? Or you are operating on you or whatever. In that case, as soon as you wake up, you make. As soon as you, rem- you, you remember, hey, I never made a yet. You know, it's one o'clock in the morning, we're sitting and chatting and I was on the road and I actually forgot to make a shah. Immediately take wudu and make a shah. In that case, you are forgiven because you forgot. Understand, if you overslept, you are forgiven. It's out of your hands. As soon as you wake up, freshen up and you make salah. As for the one who purposefully missed it, he was lazy, he didn't feel like it. There is no qada for him according to the correct view. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Allah says, whoever goes and transgresses the boundaries of Allah has oppressed himself. You've missed out, it's gone. That great reward, you've left it behind. You can't come run 10 years later and try and pick it up. You understand? But you have to make tawbah. You must make tawbah and change your ways. Ibn Taymiyyah says, you should try and make extra sunnas. To try and try and get more rewards because you really missed all that great rewards. So what you should do is try and make, make nafil salah wherever you can, just so that you add to your good deeds as well. Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Right? And we don't say this to make it easy on people. You didn't make salah for 10 years? We don't say, okay, you don't have to make the qada, it's okay, make it easy for you. That's not why we say this. We say this because number one, we, there's no evidence. And number two, we say this as a, a punishment and a torture for them. To show them, look, it's gone, sorry. You didn't make the salah, you can't get it back. It's actually a khasara, it's a loss. You understand? So we're not saying this to make it easy for the people. We say to them, look, it's a major loss. But all is not lost. Make tawbah to Allah. Allah forgives your sins. And now start with the salah. And try and make some nafil to try and increase your good deeds um, and so forth. Also from the benefits of the hadith is that the sunnah comes as a clarification for the Qur'an. The sunnah is a clarification for the Qur'an. The Qur'an doesn't speak about the five daily salahs. The Qur'an doesn't mention Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Shafajr. It only mentions three of them. It only mentions three of them. But the sunnah has come and elaborated on the others. It explains the Qur'an further, right? Um, another benefit here is that we learned that there is no time, there is no waqt between Dhuhr and Asr. Right? Dhuhr stops at Asr. And the same with Asr and Maghrib. And the same with Maghrib and Isha. Right? Some people believe Maghrib is only for a short period of time. And then, there's no more Maghrib. And then Isha comes a bit later. You know? No, Maghrib lost until Isha. Maghrib lost until Isha. And likewise, as we explained, the time for Isha is until the, the half of the night. Right? So, and as I said, any person who prays before the waqt, فَلَا صَلَاةَ لَهُ Salah is rejected and not accepted 
And if he does this purposefully, right? It's not accepted. He's a major sinner. Ibn Uthaymin says it could even lead to kufr. Listen to this. He says, if you purposefully make salah before the time, it can even lead to kufr. How so? It shows that you are playing with the deen. It shows that you don't respect the waqt. It, it shows that you just do your own thing. And if that's the intention that you are mocking and playing with the deen and, you know, deeming it to be not that important and low, then this can lead to disbelief. You understand? From that angle he is saying. So we're not saying any person who makes salah before the time is kafir. No. Depending on, you know, what his thoughts were and how he deems the times of salah and so forth, it can, might lead to kufr. Allah knows best. And as we said, if a person forgets, he did it out of mistake, or he makes salah and later on he found out, you know what, I made, I made early. I actually made salah at 4 o'clock, but us it's only 10 past 4. Okay, so now what do I do? That salah will be counted as a sunnah. You get a reward for it, but you still have to make your fart. You have to then repeat the asr. Understand this? You have to then repeat the asr and Allah knows best. Are we allowed to make salah with shak? If you are doubtful, you're not sure if the waqt is in or not. Do you make salah? If you are completely 50-50, I would say wait a bit. Right? If you believe the waqt is in, then you make. And if you learned later that actually you were wrong, then as I said, you repeat the salah, but you will get rewarded for a sunnah, insha'Allah. Um, so that's the first hadith. We continue next week with the next few ahadith, insha'Allah. Naam. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك شهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك